How are we doing tonight, guys? We good? Hey, my name's Steven. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you afterwards. I'm rocking a Michigan State Salt Company shirt tonight. Hey, if you don't have plans for spring break, hey, Florida, Michigan State, both incredible options. Um, you should definitely do it. It's going to be great. Um, hey, I want to, uh, f- even before we get started, I just want to say uh, a quick, like, just thank you. Michael Lisi isn't even here tonight, but I-, I just want to inform you guys of what kind of leader that you have in uh, this incredible ministry. Uh, man, just a godly guy who cares so much for you guys, um, not even just while you're in Salt Company, but cares for you even after you're gone and would give his life just to see you guys fall in love more with Jesus. And so, man, if you have it in a while, just tell him thank you just for all the leadership that he's given us and just, uh, man, the life that he has given to seeing this ministry grow. But tonight, we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23, all the way to verse, or chapter 11, verse one. So a couple of verses there, we got a lot of work to do. And I wanna answer one question tonight. I just want to answer one simple question, one that you guys, it's, it's, it's pretty easy. Are you ready? What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? How many of you went to conference this weekend? How, and, and how does the conversation go when you're, when you're meeting somebody new? It's like, hey, how's it going? What's your name? Oh, what school do you go to? Oh, what year are you? And then what after, what's after that? What's your major? Oh, what do you want to do with your major, right? Or when you go home for Thanksgiving, I bet you juniors, seniors in the room are probably feeling a little bit more of this than anybody else, is when you go home and, like, you get extended family there, and they're like, oh, so, so what do you want to do after college, right? And you're like, I don't know, pay off student loans, like, maybe live in a van and go to California, <laughs> like, don't have any big plans right now. Um, hey, just, just a little FYI, just to give you some insight, that never stops, like ever. Like once you graduate, then it's like, oh, what do you want to do? Like what job are you going to get? And are you, are you, are you dating anyone? Like uh, do you have a relationship? Why not? You know, and then once you get married, it's like, or once you get engaged, like when are you going to get married? Or when are you going to have kids? Or when are you going to buy a house? It just never stops. And, and so we're just going to take a step back. And I just want to ask that big question to you tonight. What are you going to do with your life? And I think we're actually going to see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23. I truly believe that we find the answer of what we should do with our life in this passage. And before we jump in, are you ready? Are you with me? Look at me real quick. Before we jump into the Bible and into the text and we're looking for things, you have to remember that this book right here is not just like a big book of like self-help initiatives for you. Like you don't just open it and it's like, good morning, brush your teeth today. And like, it doesn't just help you in life. This book is actually a story. From start to finish, it's a story and a revelation about who God is and about who we are. In the beginning in Genesis, we see that God, glorious, holy, perfect, creator, creates the world and everything, and then he creates humankind. And he says that in humanity, he finds it good. So then we learn about ourselves. Man, we are made in the image of God, and it's good. And then we find that, that, that man chooses not to, to live under God's authority, but try to, to, to live in their own desires. And sin enters the world and breaks the relationship between man 
and God. And the rest of the story is a rescue mission about how God is redeeming and restoring the purpose of humankind into a back to find a relationship with God. And it climaxes with God sending his own son to die on a tree so that all of creation could find its purpose and hope once again in a relationship with God. But the story doesn't even end there. And we actually know how the end ends. You hate those people who guess the ending of the movie? Like, I do that with my wife all the time, and she hates me for it. I'm just like, oh yeah, he's gonna die. And like five seconds later, he dies. But in the Bible, we actually know the end of the story. And in Revelation chapter four, verse eight, we get a picture of it. Every person who's, who's a follower of Christ, who's a believer of Christ, who's been redeemed and rescued, is around the throne, right? It's, it's people, and then there's God, and then there's Jesus, and everyone is around the throne singing praises to Jesus, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it says, the earth is filled with his glory. So when we jump into 1 Corinthians, remember, we're jumping into a story. After Jesus has come to begin the rescue mission to restore us into a right relationship with God, but before all has been made new. Are you with me? Are you with, do you see the chapter that we're in? Man, we're, we're living out, we've heard the good news of Christ, and now we're living out that life, awaiting God's beautiful, redeemed, new earth when he makes all things new, when death ceases, when cancer's gone, when all things are beautiful. We are living out that mission right now, and that's where we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 23. And we're gonna see how Paul is actually talking to a church that is dealing with struggles and concerns and the, some of the things that he's dealt with already is, man, Paul, like, what do we do about sex? Or what do we do about, you know, this food that we're eating? And uh, man, there's some disunity in our church. What should we do? And they're asking Paul, who writes this letter. And, and we're gonna see tonight that Paul is specifically addressing food that is sacrificed to idols. Now, if you're an intelligent person in this room, this is what you should be asking yourself. How in the world is a text about food offered to idols about should I eat it or should I not gonna tell me what I should do with my life? If you're a sane person in the room, you're probably like, what in the, how? Well, we gotta look to find out. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, 11 through one. Let's read it. Uh, it says this, everything is permissible. Your translation may, be, may say, all things are lawful. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invite you over and you want to go, Eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food is from a sacrifice, do not eat it. Out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean for your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized? Because of something for which I give thanks. So 
whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many. And he says this, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Let's just pray and ask God to speak through us tonight. Uh, Father, would you speak to us through your word? Would you speak tonight? You have already spoken through your word. Father, would your Holy Spirit bring these truths to light? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's go ahead and jump into it. Verse 23, let's go back up and try to make sense of all this. Verse 23 says this, everything is permissible. Did you notice something there in your Bible or on the screen? It's in quotations, right? So Paul is actually, what he's doing is he's responding to something that the church at Corinth actually said to him. Everything is permissible. Basically, your, your version may say, all things are lawful. Or if you've got an NIV, it probably says, um, I, I have the right to do whatever I want. Basically, what the church of Corinth is saying to Paul in, in relationship to this issue with food being sacrificed to idols, they're basically saying this, hey, we can do whatever we want, Paul, right? Like, I've got the freedom in Christ. It's not that big of a deal. Like, all things are lawful. All things are permissible. Something I want to just like pause and take notice of with that. Th this perspective. All, I can do whatever I want, right, Paul? They're trying to justify their point. Man, this, this sounds a lot like the Greco-Roman, pagan, Corinthian culture that they were around. A culture that, that wants to just say, hey, all things, are, all things are all right. Just do you, right? Like, that's the culture that they were around. That doesn't sound a lot like Jesus. The, the first thing that I just want to notice in this quote is it looks a lot like they're being defined by the culture that they're around rather than being distinct from it. It sounds like they're being defined a lot by that Corinthian, anything goes mentality, right? It's almost like they're singing like, man, Jesus loves me, this I know, therefore I can do whatever the heck I want. You know, like, that's not how the song goes, but you get my point. Like, that, that's the perspective that they're having. Like, yeah, we can do whatever we want, right, Paul? And Paul is going to, immediately jump in and, and tell them why this perspective is not what it means to follow Jesus. Th this individuality is not what it looks like to follow Jesus. And look how he responds right there. Everything is permissible, quoting it back to him, but not everything is beneficial. Some of your translations may say, not everything is expedient, which means helps each other out. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. And then he says this in verse 24, no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Notice the two descriptions that he uses there. Beneficial and builds up. It's like mutually like helping each other out, right? Do you remember, let's, let's see if you do, like do you remember the first issue with the church of Corinthian that Paul addresses. 
in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. He's addressing one thing. That thing is unity, right? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, where he says, um, man, I urge you, brothers and sisters, agree in what you say. This is an issue that has been in, in their church, in their tribe, in their connection group. This has been an issue for a while. And what is that issue? The idol of individuality. Like they're worried about themselves and not really concerned about other people around them. That's why Paul says, okay, yeah, all things may be, benef- or all things may be permissible. Hey, you may have the right to do that, but it doesn't help those around you. It doesn't benefit those around you. It appears that their individual rights has turned into an idol. And, and what Paul wants to do is to take that idol of individuality and crush it at the foot of the cross. Because to live as a Christ follower, hear me out, to live as a Christ follower, to live as a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, inherently what you're saying is, hey, I'm not living for myself. I'm living for someone else. And that person is Jesus. So to have the perspective of, hey, this is, I can do whatever I want, right? is not the perspective that a Christian should have, and that is what Paul is after, which is why he clearly says in verse 24, look at it again, verse 24. He says, no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. This sounds pretty simple, right? Like when you think about it, like, okay, I'm not supposed to seek my own good, but the good of the other person. That kind of sounds like a hey, that's a good Christian truth I'll tell my kids one day, right? It's like, oh yeah, that sounds good. This truth is honestly going to cause you a lot of problems in your life. This issue right here is going to be responsible for the reason why a lot of people don't follow Jesus. Don't seek after your own good, but seek after the good of others. The Bible tells us a story in Luke Chapter 18, right? In the middle of the chapter, a guy, kind of like you, young, influential guy, wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and basically says this. Basically says, hey, if you want to inherit eternal life, sell everything you own and follow me. Basically what Jesus tells him is, hey, don't live for what you want, but come and follow me. And you know what happens? He goes away sad because he doesn't want to give up what is good for him. Though it could be good for those around him, and honestly, probably would have been the best thing for him to follow Jesus. He chooses not to. And this, this, this truth is so counterculture. This is counterculture to you and I, right? Man, this is the culture that we live in. It's just like, do what is good for you, right? Treat yourself, you know? Oh, I've got my own truth. Like, I'm just doing me. All of these phrases, which basically mean like, I am focused on, on me and, and not about on other people. And if you really boil it down, when you think about it, like, what are you even doing here at college? Like, what is even the motive behind some of this? It's like, oh, you know, like, I, I really wanted to get into a school where I could have the program that I wanted. Okay, well, why? Well, because then I could maybe through that program get accepted into this program. Okay, cool, why? 
Well, then if I got into that program, I could get this internship that I really wanted. Okay. And then, well, if I got that internship, then I could get the job that I wanted. If I got the job that I wanted, then I could, you know, maybe make enough to support, like, then I could get married and have a family. I could support for my family. That's good, right? And then it's like, well, if I had, the, if I had a good job and a family, then maybe we could buy a house in the suburbs. And then, you know, maybe like a hot tub on the side. And, and then after a while, like, if I save enough money, we could buy a new car. Nothing fancy. Maybe like a Subaru or something sporty so that we could go to Colorado for the weekend. And that's going to be a blast. And like, what is behind all of that? It's your own good. The motivation for all of those things, and I'm not saying in those things are inherently bad, but the motive behind all of those things, if you take it to its logical point, is what? It's for your own good, so that I can live a good life, so I can retire early, so I can have a family. Man, it's your own good. And what Paul is telling us in this passage no one should seek his own good, but the good of others. You should have a little millennial pushback, like, um, excuse me, Paul, like, who are you to tell me what I can do? Like, I've got rights, Paul. Like, the Constitution gives me rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of whatever the heck I want, Paul. <laughs> Right now we live in a culture where my good, what I think is best for me, takes precedence over just about anything. Right now we live in a culture where babies take the back seat to personal preference. What's good for me? Right now we live in a culture where black lives and black citizens in America take the back seat to political preference. I'm after my own good. Yeah, but this is good for me. Yeah, this is, this, is, this is what I think is gonna help me in the long run. All of those take a back seat to what I think is good for myself. And Paul is telling us, he's, he's, he's basically like, no, I'm not gonna say that. I was gonna say he's giving a middle finger to that line, but I'm not gonna say that. Because <laughs> this is gonna be on a podcast and I'm gonna have to talk to Michael about it. <laughs> hey, Michael. Um, he's saying no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. There are things in the Bible for sure that are gonna be really hard that you're gonna deal with, right? Like you've read through it, things in the Old Testament, you're gonna be like, I don't know. But I'm telling you, this is gonna be one of the hardest truths you're gonna have to face, especially in our culture today. And the truth is this, you ready? It's not about you. It's not about you. Where you go to college, it's not about you. Where you get a job, it's not about you. If you claim to be a Christ follower, if you're, if you're saying Jesus is my Lord, he's the one who's directing my life, I've got news, it's not about you. Your job, your relationship status, the church that you go to, the ministry that you're in, Salt Company, it's not about you. Monday morning prayer, it's not about you. Your connection group that you're in or the connection group that you lead, it's not about you. The city that you choose to plant your life in, it's not about you. 
No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Paul is showing them that the ultimate purpose in our life is not centered around what we want or what we think is best or what makes us comfortable. But in context, we have to look at this, okay? So what exactly is Paul talking about? What is he talking about? These individual rights that we're, we're giving up. Specifically in this passage, he's talking about um, food that is sacrificed to idols. And the church is like, hey, should we eat them? Should we not eat them? What do we do with them, right? So let's take a look specifically. Let's take a breather. Let's take a look in uh, the passage right here. And I just want to see three observations. Really quick, you don't have to write them down. But what I want you to see in these three observations is one big focus at the end of it. I think that all three have the same thing. And I want you to think about what is that big focus? What is Paul trying to get them to focus on? All right, three observations very quickly. Let's look at this, starting in 25. He says this, eat everything that is sold in the meat market. The translation's kind of tricky there. Like, I don't think he actually means to eat everything you see in the meat market. He, I think he means to say like, eat anything, not everything. That was a joke. It's not funny. Um, <laughs> verse 25, he says, eat everything that's sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Why? Well, since the, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. So the first thing that we see, first observation, don't ask, just eat it, right? When he's talking about food, sacrifice, idol, don't ask, just do it, just bring it. Um, you guys get that reference? No, okay. Uh, don't ask, just eat it. Don't be searching out the origin of meat is basically what he's saying. Don't walk up to the meat butcher and be like, um, excuse me, like, I don't mean to be a bother, but like, I'm allergic to gluten, dairy, and food that's sacrificed to demons, right? <laughs> He's just saying, just, just buy it and then eat it. Like, don't be asking like, is this sacrifice to an idol? I can't have that. Like, my mom said I'm allergic. So first observation, don't ask, just eat it, right? Um, second thing we see in verse uh, 27, if any of the unbelievers invite you over and you want to go, all right, pause, look at me real quick. If you're an introvert, Man, this gives you a great out. Like he says, if anyone invites you over and you want to go. So like if people invite you and you don't want to go, you don't have to. So there you go. That's for my wife. Um, but if someone says to you, or excuse me, if any unbelievers invite you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. So the second observation, if you're invited to eat at someone's house who's an unbeliever where there might be food that has been sacrificed to idols, are you with me? Like, if that is the situation, go. Just don't ask questions and just eat it. All right. Second option. Number three, moving on. But, here we go, verse 28. But if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it. Out of consideration for who? For the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but for the other person's. So third observation is this. If someone tells you that food has been offered to an idol, don't eat it. Not because it's actually wrong and not because like your conscience is telling you not to eat it, but just for the sake of the other person, all right? What is happening in all of these circumstances? So those are the three observations that we see in the text that Paul is telling them specifically to do. What's the big idea? What's the focus? It's on the other person, right? I am limiting my freedom for the love of the other person. I limit my liberty for the love of other people. So Paul basically said, hey, you're free to do these things. If, if an unbeliever asks you, 
eat it. Hey, just don't ask questions, just eat it. But if someone comes up to you and says, hey, this has been offered to an idol, instead of getting in a theological debate with them and telling them why it's bad to eat food offered idols, what do you do? Just don't eat it, right? He's limiting his liberty for the love of the other person. The way that I would put it is this. We need to forsake our freedom for the sake of other people. We need to forsake our freedom for the sake of others. Like, hypothetical here. You're fine with drinking alcohol. You're of the limit. Your friends are fine with drinking alcohol. Another friend isn't. What do you do? You say, oh, sorry, you can't hang out. No, you forsake your freedom for the sake of others. Paul reminds us, don't do what's for your own good, but for the good of other people. I'm forsaking my freedom that I have. Why? For the sake of other people. And I think this is gonna be really transformational for you. This idea is going to be trans transformational if we can grasp it. And I think he drives it home in verse 31. And I think he answers the question that we've all been waiting for. Hey, what am I supposed to do with my life? What am I supposed to do with my life? Verse 31 says this. <clears throat> so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. This is the big idea. Whatever you do, do it for who? For the glory of God. This changes everything. It honestly changes everything, whether you're a believer in this room or whether you're not a believer in this room. This idea of God's glory. And, and I know as we're, we're kind of in a big crowd that there are two different types of people in this room. People who would say like, yes, my identity is found in Christ. I believe in Jesus. I follow Jesus. He is my righteousness. I'm he's, he's my everything. Yeah, there's that crowd in here. And then there's also people who are like, hey, I, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. I, you know, I've been to church a couple times and maybe I'm new and maybe your friend drug you in here. Maybe you got lost and thought this was like just a warm place to be and you just stumbled in and heard music and came in. That's great. But there's two different people. And so I, I want to answer how this affects both of you, how this changes everything, how this answers the question of what you're supposed to do with your life in both situations. So first I wanna, I wanna speak to those who claim to be a Christ follower. Man, you're, you believe in Jesus. You say that you follow Jesus. Jesus is your Lord. He's changed your life. I wanna talk to you of how this verse right here changes your life. You are supposed to live for the glory of God. But I wanna ask this question. What does it mean for you to glorify God with your life? What does that mean? And I would say this, and I'll tell you why. I would say for you to live for the glory of God, it means this. You live to expand God's glory on earth by living for the sake of others. I'll say that again. To live for the glory of God means to live to expand God's glory on earth by living for the sake of others. 
Look at the verse right after 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. And then he goes right into practicality. You ready? Verse 32, give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but for the benefit of many. Why? So that they may be saved. Quickly, let's unpack the things that we see in there. Ready? To live for God's glory means that you live for the good of others. Just like he said in verse 24. Hey, not living for your own good, but for the sake of others. Specifically, how does he do this in, in, in this verse? First thing, give no offense. Give no offense. We need to live with others in mind in order not to offend them. Paul, the apostle, this guy writing the letter, he would rather die. He would rather God ordain a train and hit him and kill him and take him off the earth rather than unnecessarily offend someone that could keep them from coming to know Jesus. He does not want to be an unnecessary barrier for someone to know Jesus. I think in our culture today, and I, I know because I'm a part of it, I'm not that much older than you, even though you would think that because I'm losing my hair. We are too quick to be okay offending someone over a freaking computer screen. Like we're fine with offending someone who's a million miles away. We're just, our culture is so quick to be like, oh, I don't care if I offend you. Like this is just my opinion. If you're mad about my opinion, that's on you and not on me. We are too quick to offend people. Paul is telling us, give no offense to anyone. Guys, we are so quick to even build unnecessary walls for the gospel. The gospel doesn't need any more barriers. We need to stop making peripheral things, things that don't really matter. We need to stop making peripheral things primary things. We cannot make unnecessary barriers to the gospel. That is so counter what God wants to do. God wants to cross the barrier, not create another one for people. God sent his own son as a bridge for people. We cannot make barriers that are gonna keep people from coming to know Christ. So a very practical takeaway. Stop posting arguments on Facebook. Quit making random political comments on Facebook. It's just so not smart. So just stop. That's my only practical takeaway on that point. All right, moving on. Another observation in this text. He says, give no offense to who? To Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Let me say this. Every person listed in there, Jews, Greeks, church of God, everyone needs to know the gospel. We should be living to offend no one. Church, non-Christian, non-believer, hyper-religious, doesn't matter. Live to offend no one. He also says, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many. Just like earlier in the chapter, you can go back and look, in chapter nine, verse 19, he says, though I am free in Christ, you know what Paul says? Though I'm free in Christ, I make myself a slave to everyone. He is not seeking his own benefit, but the benefit of others. And lastly, 
what does he say? This last practical urging from Paul. Why do we do all of this? Christian in the room, why do we do any of this? Why do we focus on others and not our own self? Why do we try not to offend people? Why do we try to please people? Why do we try to build barriers and, or build bridges and not barriers with people? Why? He tells us there. Look at it. So that, so that they may be saved. The goal towards pleasing people and not offending people is not so that Paul can get a killer reputation and get invited to cool parties. The goal for Paul to please people and not to offend people is to build enough relationship that he can leverage that to use it to share the gospel with them. Everything we do is not to create some false harmony where no one's mad at us and we're like, okay, is everyone like me? Okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm not offending anyone. I haven't said too much about this issue. Like, I'm good over here too. I've posted enough on Instagram. I didn't post too much on Instagram. Just not trying to offend anybody with my lifestyle. Like, the reason you do that is not just so people like you. The reason you're doing all of this is so that you have an opportunity one day to share the gospel with them so that they may be saved. Paul says he wants to please them. He wants to win them over. Not so that he's seen in a good light. Paul is giving up his rights. Paul has the right to do these things, right? He has the right to eat food that's offered out. He has the right to drink whenever he wants. He, he's free in Christ, and yet he gives up his right. Why? So that people may be found right in God. Giving up his right so that one day someone can look at God and be declared righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's his motivation. Okay, for the person who does not know God or feels far from God or doesn't know much about this whole Christianity thing and you're just curious and you're wondering, okay, when is this guy gonna stop talking? And why is he talking about food sacrifice to idols? How does this affect my life? I truly believe that, that verse 31 speaks exactly to where you're at. Verse 31 says this again. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Why on earth would Paul be so adamant? About, hey, if you do anything, whatever you do, I don't care really what you do, is what Paul is saying, but do it for the glory of God. Why is Paul so adamant? Man, just do it for the glory of God. The reason Paul is writing them, urging them, begging them, do it for the glory of God, is because this is exactly what you were created for. This is what you were created for, the glory of God. Your life was made to show how beautiful God is. You personally, every single one of you, were made in God's image. You know what the word image is, right? Like if you have a picture hanging on your wall, it reminds you of what you did on that day, right? You look back on your Instagram, you're like, oh, I remember that. You were made in the image of God so that when people look at you, they say, man, God did this. 
How beautiful is God? That's what you were made for, to display the beauty and wonder of the creator. You were made to expand and exemplify God's glory. Your life was made to show how beautiful God is. Have you ever felt, I wonder, maybe this may be the reason tonight, like, honestly, this may be the reason why you have continually felt empty after everything you've been striving for. That job, that internship, man, when you got to college, after you had sex with that guy or girl, man, after you had that, 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 that one too many drink, man, how many times does those things leave you wanting more and empty and dissatisfied? Because it's, it's not why you were created. It's not your purpose. The reason those things are leaving you empty is because it's not what you were created for. You were created to embody the glory of God, to be an image bearer of the King. And so I wonder if you're asking today, like, okay, like, what is, how do we even do, like, how do, if that's my purpose and I know that's not the case because I'm a broken, sinful person, join the club. Like, if, if you are are wondering, how in the world can my life bring glory to God? How can people look at my life and think how beautiful a creator is when you know your life is jacked up? Join the club. This Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It means every person in this room, you can look around, I can pick any of you, and all of us has fallen short of God's glory. We all are jacked up because of sin. We all feel shame and guilt because of sin. And so how, how can you, person who was made for something that you can't achieve, how can you, who's been made for God's glory, and yet because of sin, you are not glory, like you don't embody that glory, you don't represent that glory, you don't, you don't, you're not an image of that glory. How, how can you live out your purpose? How can you experience a real relationship with the God who sees all and knows all, who knows all of your failures and all of the mistakes? How can you live with that God? How do we live a life that glorifies God and loves others when we're lost and ashamed of sin? How would God ever accept someone like me? Find hope in this last verse and then we're done. Verse one of chapter 11 says this, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Paul, the apostle here, the guy writing, has given his whole life to seek the good of others. Not because he's a good guy. Not because he's a humanitarian and a progressive and he just really loves people or because he's a two on the Enneagram. You know how I know that he, he's not that? It's because his, Paul, his, his name Paul, or his name wasn't always Paul, Right? His name used to be Saul. And Saul, before he came to know Jesus, 
tortured and murdered other Christians. Wasn't a good guy. Paul says, follow me, not because he's a role model or because he has a religion to offer any of us that's gonna make it where you have purpose in life and have hope in life. Paul is not telling, hey, follow me because he can offer you hope. Paul is saying, follow me because he knows a guy who can offer you hope. Because he's got hope in someone else and not himself. He's saying, look, imitate me, follow me. Why? Because I imitate Christ. Because I follow Jesus. I don't, I don't have hope in anything that I've done. I've got hope in someone else, and his name is Jesus. This is the reason Paul has life. This is why he can live a life that is glorifying to God. It's because he knows. He knows that God sent his own son, Jesus, and Jesus did not seek his own glory, but the Father's glory and the good of others. Why in the world is Christ worth imitating? Why would Paul say, I'm following Jesus with my life? Philippians chapter two, verse five through 11. This right here in this passage is why Paul says, follow me because I follow this guy. This is what Jesus has done. This is who the Son of God is. And this is why he's worth following. Philippians 2, verse 5, says this. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, but did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you check that last part? To the glory of God the Father. How can you live a life that glorifies God? How can you glorify God with your life? Live for the glory of God. How? through accepting the free gift of grace that is Jesus Christ. As a Christian, how do we daily live out God's glory? We expand his glory on earth, living not for ourselves, but for the good of others. And how do we seek the good of others? We forsake our own freedom for the sake of others, to see them one for the message of Jesus. So what should we do with our life what are you gonna do with your life? My plead to you is to give it away. Give it away for the glory of God and the good of others. Give your life to the one who gave everything for you. He made a way for you to have a right relationship with God. Let's pray.
Father, we, uh, we come to you all as broken people in need of good news. Father, we all fell short of the glory of God. There was no way for us to have a right relationship with you. We didn't deserve it. Father, but you made a way for us. Father, I pray that we see ourselves for who we are, a people in need of saving, and we pray that we see Jesus for who he is, the one true son of God who came to set the captives free. Man, I pray that we see Jesus and how beautiful he is tonight. In Jesus' name.